0: Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So on Thursday morning, just a couple of days ago, I flew back to Vancouver. I'm not going to do that. I flew back to Vancouver uh, for a couple of nights just to reground myself with some friends and family. And I had a very human debacle upon arriving at the airport at 6 a.m. And maybe it's because I chose to fly Flair, but whatever. That's We're not going to go there. So I arrived at 6 in the morning to learn that my flight had been cancelled and would I like to book another one. And after looking at my options, mainly being Friday, I managed to find a flight to a smaller, nearby-ish airport that took off and landed at approximately the exact same time as my original flight. It would only put me about 40 minutes out of my way. So I booked it, and I boarded the plane like nothing had happened, and all was well. The thing about booking a flight to a smaller airport, however, is that this also means they put you on a smaller plane. And when they put you on a smaller plane, the chances are much greater that you are going to experience what we call turbulence. And while I am a great sport, I am not a good flyer. And so sure enough, about 25 minutes into the flight, we hit the air bumps. And I recalled in my mind a story that a pilot friend of mine once told me to ease my flying anxiety. He said, imagine, Andrea, you are a tic-tac and you are pressed down into the middle of a cup of jello he said I can shake that cup of jello all I want you're not gonna fall out of the jello you're surrounded by systems that are supporting you and in this moment Had I not been sitting there in 20F chanting to myself, I am a tic-tac, I'm a little tic-tac, I'm a little tic-tac, I probably would have realized the theological significance of this analogy, but instead I simply practiced my disassociating. Eventually, the pilot came over the speaker and introduced himself and gave the very familiar spiel. Folks, we seem to be experiencing some turbulence. Please keep your seatbelts fashioned and remain seated until it has passed. And then he said... If you need to use the lavatory, this would not be a good time. Hang tight until we're through it. And I thought this caveat was interesting. Uh, It was specific, strangely so. Uh, Surely this much was obvious as we sat there, a pack of Tic Tacs floating around in a sea of Jello, hurling through the air. But sure enough, there was a person in the row ahead of me who took this exact message as their invitation to stand. And death flashed before their eyes as they tried to plot the route of least resistance to a washroom on board when a flight attendant rushed up and said, What are you? What are you doing? And they responded, I need to use the lavatory. And she said, You can't do that right now. And indignant as only airplane people can be, they said, Pray. Tell me, when can I use the lavatory? And the attendant was flabbergasted by the question and said, well, the pilot said, maybe wait until we're through it. <laughs> and this is where I rolled my eyes and I put in my AirPods <laughs> and turned it up really loud. So I know, I know that we grow up being told and telling others there is no such thing as a silly question. But sometimes, (laughs) Lord have mercy, sometimes we hear one of these questions and it just sounds wrong. And it's when we're tempted to respond as per my last email (laughs) or as I was saying (laughs) that we know a question has been asked that rattles our understanding of how things work. Maybe I didn't explain it the way I wanted to, or maybe this person will understand it differently if I do. It changes our perspective. This made sense to me, but now you've questioned it, and I'm not sure, or I need to try again. Our passage today introduces us to a man of authority who asks, one of these questions. It's a question that we, in our 2,000 years later seats, think to ourselves, this should be obvious, Nicodemus. He doesn't mean you will be born again. But Nicodemus asks, how can anyone be born again after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And we smack our heads, and we think, come on, Nick, you can do better than that. So, I'm gonna give us a chance. I'm going to ask you, this might be the hardest one yet, and I don't know that I have an answer to it, so just take that as your permission slip. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them, and put put this in the chat box, I want you to tell them what is the question you would ask Jesus in the middle of the night. You have one minute, friends. You can journal on it later. You ask Jesus. Right, friends? I want you to hold on to these questions. I want you to continue to think about these questions. Every one of them is. The right question. We are all theologians in our own right. Some of these questions are simple. Why? How? Or are they simple? But these are the questions of our lives. The things that we bring to God, this is what matters. Let's pray. Loving God, we come to you from our places of unknowing. Hold our questions. Guide us through truth. Teach us in your ways of being. Accompany us in the wilderness of the question mark. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. I like to imagine Jesus responding here, as per my last email, Nicodemus. (laughs) He says, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? That's a pretty harsh comeback. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. This is a sect of ancient Judaism that strictly observed the law and placed great emphasis on this law being a part of their faith. These are people who are very knowledgeable about the hows and how tos and the cans and the cannots. And Nicodemus is a leader in this community, maybe a spiritual authority, maybe a government official a combination of the two, but one we can safely assume deems himself to have a grasp on what the teachings of God are, and yet he asks a question that indicates perhaps he doesn't have all that much understanding of the ways of Jesus after all. We know these people, don't we? On one hand, they are the people who profess to be those of faith and yet make decisions in front of our eyes that Jesus himself would not recognize, that we do not recognize as faithful decisions. We see this in Christians rallying to prevent the celebration of same-sex relationships or creative expressions of gender. We see this in the choices Christians make to go to violent war or that Christians make in the condemnation of the poor. That's the one side. The other side is that we see this clearly in ourselves. Lord, have mercy. I don't get it. Paul writes in Romans 7, I do not understand. For what I want, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. This is who we are. We are not a people of perfect faith. We act in ways Jesus would sometimes abhor every single one of us. And yet we have these moments where we're like, I think I understand. And maybe some of us do, but that's not me up here. And I don't know that it's very many of you. It's a hunch. And when we notice for ourselves that our faith isn't lining up and things aren't making sense, the why, the how, that this Jesus stuff is actually really hard, we realize, like Nicodemus, that we might not get it at all. And this, this is the wilderness of the spirit, the place where we start to see the holes in our child-like understanding of the faith and instead ask our own questions. Every one of you had one or will have one. It's a lonely place. Am I the only person that has this question? Is this a silly question? Would this question be worthy of Jesus' time? It's a nighttime place. We hear John talk all the time about those 3 a.m. moments. This is the moment. Some of you might understand Nicodemus as the original deconstructionist. This is a hype word in religious circles right now, especially for those coming out of evangelical religious circles. Deconstruction. Deconstruction was a word coined by French philosopher Jacques Derrida that combines the word construction, building up, and destruction, tearing down. And as it relates to our faith, Peter Schumann says it is a process of questioning and doubting and reckoning. He says, deconstruction is a building metaphor. It's not necessarily demolition or destruction, but more often, intentional dismantling, a taking apart or uncoupling of something that was formerly whole. Deconstruction, as such, needs not be a threat, but it can be experienced as a great loss, like being left in a wilderness. It is a lonely place, a nighttime place. The 16th century Spanish poet and mystic Saint John of the Cross refers to this as the dark night of the soul. A place where God's presence is really unstable. Eckhart Tolle says, the dark night of the soul is where all your perceived meaning collapses and you are left without any understanding of ego or life or beyond. It's a spiritual barrenness, a sense that nothing matters and that God has left the building. Our St. of Norwich talks about this as a dance. She feels like God is ever dancing towards her and dancing away from her and realizes that she is the one doing the dance, close and farther away. Notice in this story that Nicodemus engages Jesus in the darkness. In the verse leading up to this pericope, the fancy word for a standalone Bible story, Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem and has been causing a bit of a scene. He drove the tax collectors out of the temple and told them to stop making the holy space a marketplace. we will just cover this up. <laughs> he then preached to The temple filled with men of spiritual influence. That if they were to destroy the temple, he would raise it up in three days. And here's where this matters. When he said this, the disciples were confused. They had been doing construction on this temple for 46 years. And here comes Jesus saying, tear it down. I've got it handled. And then our passage says, then the disciples remembered he was talking about the temple as his body and they believed jesus doesn't say things in the kind of way we might expect him to He uses weird similes and strange little stories, parables, so much so that 2,000 years later, we still have people trying to say new things about it every single Sunday. And so while the disciples might have the inside scoop, might know Jesus well enough to know that he speaks this way, that he makes room for the questions, he wants the questions, You can be certain that the audience of Pharisees and other Jewish practitioners in the temple had some questions. They spoke it as it was. Jesus didn't do that. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus was the one who was bold enough to ask. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from God. And Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And that's when Nicodemus says to him, how can anyone be born after growing old? How do you be reborn? This is not a silly question. In fact, I would hazard a guess it's why we are all here. How do we do this thing again, or differently, or in a more meaningful way, a more faithful way? And this is the wilderness. Nicodemus finds himself in this place, this wilderness place, and he is bewildered. Anne read the word astonished he returns to a state of unknowing, of emptying, of uncertainty, of confusion, of disillusionment, bewildered. And instead of seeing God, what he sees is the dark. And so lonely in that place, he turns to the only one it makes sense to turn to, God, he goes to see Jesus in the night. Are we so bold? And what happens in that place where Nicodemus meets God face to face in the dark and asks the you just don't get it question is that Nicodemus' faith is utterly transformed. The wilderness is what becomes us. In our worship committee meeting, uh, in our conversation on Tuesday, our um, online congregant, Suzanne, said the word itself shows us how to do it. Wilderness is a state of being. Wild is the place. Ness is our belonging in it. The nessness of wilderness is us. It is our place in it. We become something new in this death-like place. That is our story. That's our story. I, as I was preparing to preach on this, decided to ask the question I asked all of you to all of the spiritual authorities in my life. Not all of them, but I sent out, I sent out half a dozen. Uh, and all six of those people were bold enough to respond. I told them I would keep it confidential, just so there's no gossiping here. So these are friends and colleagues of mine who are also clergy. And I said, what question would you ask Jesus in the dark? And the responses varied as much as the ask did. Questions like, what's up with all the suffering? Can't you just make it all new already? These are from clergy. Questions like, is that really you? How can I be sure? Questions like, how's my dad doing? Are we doing okay here? Are we going to be okay? Are you okay with what's going on? And my favorite, why are you up, Jay? As we saw last week in the wilderness, this is not a human experience Jesus is exempt from. Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of both water and spirit, water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, what is born of spirit is spirit, and we are both. Jesus was both. The place where we meet God is here, where our human condition forces us to our very limits, and we are required to turn around or keep going by the Spirit. The wilderness is where what we can do ends, and what God can do begins. The testimony of our faith is that in the darkness, a light shines. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus wakes in the night in order that we might go back to bed. John three sixteen, the football stadium passage. Jesus says, for God so loved the world, God gave God's self that whoever believes in God shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. When our souls are shrouded in darkness, it is hard to see the God in front of us. The one who suffers with us, the one who wakes in the night with us, the one who fears with us, the one who asks with us, the one who weeps with us, the one who advocates for us, the one who walks with us, the one who tells us, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. It is hard for us to see, but our God is in front of us always. We are not alone. And I think of the airplane bumping through the sky. I'm a little tic-tac. And I remember that even here, even here we are surrounded, hanging in the in-between in a way we do not understand, but we are connected. And even here, in all of the questions, We are so loved. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.